Hey everybody, we're here for a special recording of the Eureka Moments Only podcast, where we talk about the breakthroughs, the pivotal moments, the times of change. Today, I'm so privileged to have Ryan Folland here to share some of his story. Ryan is an author, a speaker, and a ginger. Yes, sir. You got <laughs> all three. <laughs> that's how he asked me to introduce him, so that's what I said. Yeah. And Ryan, please tell me more about yourself. Totally open-ended question, and we're going to go from there. Sure. Well, my intro is short and simple because I think that is uh, one of the most challenging yet rewarding aspects of life, especially nowadays when there's so much chaos and confusion and noise to simplify things down, uh, to simplify your messaging, and to just be simply you. If I were to say, that's it. Uh, I, that's what I'm kind of on a mission to do, is to help spread simplicity. But do not mistake simple for easy. <laughs> and in fact, uh, if we had more time, uh, I could say less. <laughs> you want to know about me? Let's see. I come from a family of educators, and uh, a big part of my early childhood was spending time on a boat in Catalina. Mm -hmm. And it was interesting because you have these dual lives. You have on land and then on the water on an island. Mm. And when you're young and you have freckles and you disappear for three months out of the year and you come back to civilization mm. and you have more freckles and bleach blonde hair and you know a sexy bowl cut, it's very easy to be targeted as an outcast. And so really my formative early years, I was uh, an outsider. And uh, I went to a school where uh, I know a lot of people don't get picked for basketball or they don't, they get picked last. I was not picked. Um, and I became sullen pretty early on. I had a neighbor named Dano, and that's a, a red flag if there ever was one. We would hang out, but... Uh, but he would not be the nicest to me. Uh, there's a couple of specific instances where he either bit me. Uh, he chased me into my garage one time. I told him like, this is my territory. This is America. You can't, you can't come in here. So he kicked me in the balls. Um, <laughs> I, I was classically just sort of always wanting to fit in and belong, but it just didn't work. Uh, my mom tried to fix it by helping me to get a basketball. And I learned that having your own basketball doesn't get you in the game. I took a test that identified me as gate, and that was a really great excuse to leave the school I was at. So I went to a new school. I'm like, fellow nerds, unite. And I became quite an outcast there because I'm just this guy who came in the middle of seventh grade with a whole group of friends who everybody knew each other. Uh, and this one guy, Tom, made my life a complete misery. Uh, I just remember being intimidated and, uh, you know, tripped and kicked and that old maneuver where somebody comes up behind you and you don't see them, they push over. It's all that, you know, the, the, that that foul play at school, but it really, uh, really just got me into a, into like a dark spot at a, mm. at a young age. My dad helped me to get into martial arts and I levitated towards whatever tough sports I could. So hockey and wrestling, and that really helped me gain my confidence and understand what was, what was going on physically. And that was really where I understood the importance of communication. And I was communicating that I was a target. And mm. it just sort of self, uh, self, it just created that, that own identity. And so, you know, in high school, uh, I ended up going back to the school in eighth grade and everybody seemed to be a little bit more mature. And so that was cool. In high school, I got into my own like junior year, senior year actually became president, voted by the same people who were shitty to me when I was in elementary school. So it was a nice full circle. And I went to college at UCSB, mm. go Gauchos. 
Uh, that was awesome. And what wasn't awesome is graduating thinking I was going to be a film and movie producer uh, with no film and movie experience because I had understood theater and I thought there's a great translation there. Now, I didn't even know about theater before I got to college. Long story short of how I uh, got involved. I was trying to flirt with a girl for extra, not, not for extra credit. I was trying to get extra credit in class and flirt with a girl. And I ended up at an audition. I had no idea what it was. Uh, I read whatever they asked me to. They laughed. I felt miserable. I skateboarded home and cried. There's nothing worse than skateboarding and crying. It's like the exact opposite. <laughs> and, uh, it, it ended up being something that I got cast in a play with. Uh, and then I went from acting, acting, producing, producing, directing, and I really uh, fell in love with communicating in a live setting. So I was like, movie, TV, this is great. Mm -hmm. Well, uh, that didn't work out so well because I didn't get into any, uh, any graduate programs, and then I lost everything that I had saved. So, of course, you call your friends, and somebody was making money in mortgage. They're looking for highly motivated people who were willing to spend two weeks to get trained and no qualifications. Sounded like right up my alley. And I became low man on the totem pole in a, in a kind of a boiler room mortgage sales. I used stick figures to get ahead, believe it or not, and got my files moving faster than anybody else because I built relationships with the processors and sold my way to the top. I was one of the top three. I uh, went to president's chairman's clubs and it was great. I remember I got my first $16,000 check, told my parents how excited I was. They're like, this is amazing. You should save it. And I spent it. I bought a house, a uh, Rimini Red Range Rover with Rimini Red Rims, a Mercedes uh, SL500, and I was, I was responsible. So when we'd go party in Laguna, I'd sleep in the car until I decided that I had slept enough, got a DUI that night, hid it from the world, uh, got arrogant and thought that I could make more money than the company if I became a broker. So I got my broker's license, funded my first deal around 2008, the whole market crashed, I lost my house, lost my cars. I uh, had a, uh, a couple <laughs> a couple people that I worked with and things went south over and over and over. And uh, I ended up at UCI uh, starting their entrepreneurship center. And that was really uh, a pivotal moment for me to take all of my failures and redirect them into investing into the next generation of entrepreneurs. And that's where I discovered my 313. Uh, that's where I almost got fired a few times. And that's where I decided to start building my personal brand. And speaking has always been something I'm passionate about. And there was a certain moment when I realized that faking it, which I had tried over and over as I completely tried to reinvent myself with each startup and each thing that didn't work, uh, I realized that faking it didn't work. And that's when uh, I realized that the only way to really gain traction is to own the story that I had really pushed back and um, own the fact that I was bullied, own the fact that uh, I had a lot of failures, um, one being a, a big failure uh, that ended up with me getting dragged into a lawsuit with the FTC. And all I did was try to hide all of that and put myself out there as a shiny object and it didn't work. So there was a pivotal moment that I realized the best thing I could do is just be myself. And that's really a, a theme of, of simplicity is, is stop trying to act and be and look like everyone, like, like you think everyone wants you to be. And we have, mm -hmm. uh, you know, a, a weird culture right now where we're just trying to keep up, not with the Joneses, but with the Kardashians. And there's just a lot of non-reality in that reality. So I 
wrote a book called Ditch the Act and now, you know, speaking around the world with it, still passionate about being at UCI. And uh, if I'm not speaking or on campus, I'm likely sailing. There's my whole life. We've, uh, that is, <laughs> wow. <laughs> yeah. And um, let's see, I met, uh, I met someone 11 years ago at a bar. I made fun of her purse. And the first, uh, the first night that I met her, I made it very clear that I was broke. The car that she saw me in was in the process of being repossessed. I was losing my house. I had no money, was uh, taking out student loans to fund my life, and that there was no guarantee anytime soon that I would make any type of money. And she said, okay, you don't sound like the typical Orange County guy. I was like, yeah, I'm not. And she ended up being from Seattle, and we are here 11 years later. And uh, I'm marrying Sin uh, this September 19th. So uh, that was a form of ditching the act. Before I wrote the book, didn't know. But if I look back in the moments of my life, the ones that are the most long-term value uh, are the moments where I've been vulnerable enough to just be real. And I think that it's something that we all struggle with. Um, but I'm excited to, to empower people to be themselves. Empowering people to be themselves. Yeah. Think of it like a UX, but a YOUX. You get to, uh, I spoke to a bunch of engineers uh, that were graduating and talked about that concept. You know, they're UX designers, but at the end of the day, we all have a chance to, to design our own user experience. How do people experience us? Sometimes we overcomplicate it. Sometimes we try to be uh, more impressive than we are. And what you have to understand is that people don't care about your story of success. We like to think that they do. And society maybe breeds us to think that they do. But people don't care about your story of success. They care about how they see themselves in your story. And so if you are only sharing your highlight reel, R-E-E-L, you miss an opportunity, multiple opportunities, to share your highlight, R-E-A-L, and let people find common ground because we all have a lot more failures in common than the successes that we're trying to pretend that we've had when we're really just in the route. We've all had more failures than the successes that we're trying to pretend that we've had. Yes. And when you own those failures and not like, hey, I, I can't hurry. I can't wait to hurry up and fail so I can talk about it. It's not that kind of a thing. It, <laughs> it's about like uh, the human moments of uh, like I, I lost my water bottle yet again today, but I found it. And throughout half my day, people are like, how are you? I'm like, I'm kind of stressed about my water bottle. I, I can't find it. And we would just have this like five minute conversation about losing things. And at that moment, like they see themselves in my story. I see myself in their story. And it's, it's amazing how quickly you can become relatable and get people to know you when you are you. And if you are faking it or you're just trying to get people to like you, and then you're missing a big part of the equation because mm. if, you, if you're just trying to get people to like you, sure, they might like you, but will they actually trust you? No, it's going to be an arm's distance. Mm. And so the idea is if you actually let people get to know you, then it's up to them whether or not they want to like you. And if they do like you based on actually knowing you, then they will trust you. And if you keep that relationship, they'll become loyal. So it's really not about the number of followers, it's about the number of people who would help you out when you need help or that are genuinely there to help support what it is that you want to do. 
I feel like we're getting deep. So <laughs> walk me through the last couple of years. You've, I, you've changed a lot. Like I'm sitting next to a different Ryan than I've seen the last time I've, I've it's been, it's been a little while. It's been a while. When was it? A couple of years, right? I feel like this is the version where, where you have ditched the act. I'm seeing a very authentic Ryan. Yeah. Yeah. And, and I'm really excited about that. <laughs> I am too. You know, it's, it's a lot less stressful. Uh, because the, the the reality is that oftentimes we're different to our group of friends. We have a different personality when it comes to our family, mm-hmm. maybe a different personality when it comes to our fiance or wife or girlfriend or boyfriend or whatever. Uh, and then maybe in the job, you're totally different. And there are people who are put in mental institutions for less personalities than a lot of people are walking around. And so I've just felt uh, a, a weight lifted as I've been able to be more focused on making sure I do the things that I enjoy doing, like speaking and sailing and, and helping people up their communication. And I think that at the end of the day, uh, your ability or inability to communicate who you are, what you do, what you're excited about is going to be what will delay you getting to where you want to be. So in the last couple of years, uh, I've, I've focused more on investing the time into projects and people and uh, methods and theories and books and things that like interest me. And I've, I've doubled down on speaking. And so uh, in the last few years, I've spoken in everywhere from China to Portugal to uh, just uh, in Ghana this last year and Haiti the last three years. And I'm in, uh, where am I this year? It's, It's getting to a point where I'm like forgetting how many of these cool places I'm speaking. But really, it all started to come together when I did start to ditch the act um, and stopped focusing on followers, but focused on sharing a a higher percentage of what I was thinking and feeling, uh, as well as what I was sharing in the content I was creating. And I think that as I make that mix, there's, uh, there's an opportunity to let people into sort of what's going on. Does that help or is that still too meta? No, not at all. And who's in, you know, who's in your, your circle right now? And, and who are the people that you're connected to the most? Uh, well, uh, it would be Sin, who I spend the most time with. And that's always great. Uh, over the last three years, I've spent a lot of time with uh, my former business partner, Leonard Kim. And he and I had different visions after we wrote the book on where we wanted to spend our time. He wanted to focus on the agency model, uh, which we built and is successful. Mm -hmm. And I wanted to focus on speaking. And I wasn't able to do both of those. So I'm now focused more on that. And he has his own thing going on. But what's interesting is that in the process of writing the book with him and selling the book and running the business with him over about three years, uh, I really got to know him. And we are very different people. And mm. I think that's what makes the book so powerful is that it's not two of the same people writing the same book. We come from very different backgrounds. We deal with things uh, very differently. And as a result of writing the book and publishing the book, we went traditional publishing with McGraw-Hill, which is a whole nother set of, of, of headaches. But uh, writing that book and really digging into the concept make me real made me realize the importance of the people I was surrounding myself with and of the mm. time that I was doing, and so uh, I, I respect where we've been, but I'm really just sort of 
in a totally new direction with just a total fire under my ginger ass, just like wanting to share this message uh, from the stage and uh, all over the world. And, and it and it incorporates my 313. And there's just something magical about spending a small amount of time with people and getting them to possibly change the way they think and getting them to take action. And so that's that's where I'm at. So I'm uh, I'm actually actively looking for you know, your, your top five. Uh, I just watched, uh, a speaker who I've followed for a while and got to share the stage with him. And he was talking about how you really are your five friends around you. And so, uh, right now I, I can count probably less than five who are close to me, but that's exciting because it allows me to focus on making sure they're the right people. Making sure that they are the right people um, to support my values, my mission, my vision, my goals, uh, and to, and to bring, bring me up. And I think that, you know, you don't have a lot of control, if not any control over what happens, mm. but you do have control over your attitude. And I tend to try to really leverage that to be a, a positive guy. Uh, and there's just, it's not to say that there's anything bad. And in fact, when you can share that bad in a learning reference, um, not sharing in the moment, shit's hitting the fan, or I'm this or I'm that. It's really taking a moment to reflect on your experience and what you've learned that builds to your expertise. And I think that there's so many instant gurus and, uh, you know, I'm immediately an expert, but your expertise comes from that experience. And it takes a lot to own that experience and share that experience. But I'm feeling that the more that I do that, the more my message is, is connecting and, and the better I feel about that whole process. It sounds like you've really shed a lot of this, but you've gone through a ton of experience. Yeah, I, I feel like I'm, I'm a bit older than, uh, than my years would say. Uh, and I've, I've continually had to deal with uh, the roller coaster ride that is entrepreneurship, right? You, you work with people, you meet people, um, businesses are successful, and then they sometimes crash and burn. But it's it's uh, it's being the ginger phoenix and figuring out uh, how to continue on in a way that is is sort of online with where you want to go. Um, and I think one of one of my eureka moments, if we're talking about that, is when I thought I was going to be fired at UCI, uh, and I ended up not being fired. But in that moment, there's that that inciting incident. I'm like. I'm just, I, I'm sick of it. I can't, mm. I can't reinvent myself again. Right. And that's when I decided to double down on building a personal brand. I didn't exactly know what it was, but I knew I needed to do it. And that was a, a huge turning point for me at that point. Um, I was not on social media. Uh, I didn't understand it. I had to actually get an old email address from a failed business to recoup my Twitter account. And I had 200 followers and I was tweeting, not knowing what I was doing and nothing happened. Uh, I wrote 50 blog articles in a summer and nobody read them. And I was like, I want to be a speaker. And people didn't care. And it was at that moment where I met Leonard and it was serendipitous at that point because he helped me understand that I wasn't doing the wrong things. Mm. I was doing the right things in the wrong order. And I think a lot of times people get frustrated with the traction that they have or if they're trying to build a brand that... They're doing what they should be doing. They're creating content. They're on podcasts. They're out there. They're putting themselves out there. Sure, they're ditching the act. They're being vulnerable. But it's like it still doesn't click. 
Mm. And so there is an art to it. There, there's, there are the right things in the right order. And sometimes that right order starts with like having a website, having a bio, you know, some of these fundamental things that we forget as we just blast through and read all the how-tos for when it comes to branding. But it's exciting to, uh, to share with people that the way they can differentiate themselves is to be themselves. And it's a hard concept to grasp because we seem to see where everyone else is going and we seem to follow or we think that that needs to be the path. Or we compare ourselves with Gary Vee, who's been at this way longer, has had a way head start. Uh, and when you start to compare yourself to other people, then you know, you, you're looking at the wrong metrics. So I'm excited to just continue to stay healthy. Like I think people forget how important it is to have a healthy, sound mind and body. I got to the gym today, yesterday. I was just talking with Ash about just passion for yoga and, and all that stuff. So I feel like I'm feeding the engine. I'm, I'm, I'm keeping the engine tuned. And, you know, that creates, um, that creates the horsepower for continuing on. This is the Eureka Moments Only show. And we're talking about breakthroughs, pivotal moments, and we're speaking with Ryan Folland, author, speaker, ginger, <laughs> yes, all of those things. <laughs> we're talking about going from your highlight reel, R-E-E-L, to becoming real, R-E-A-L. Yeah, your highlight, R-E-A-L. And you've made it this far into the show. And Ryan, Ryan's going to share... We're gonna we're gonna bring it to, we're gonna bring it home. We're gonna bring it together here. Let's bring it home. Let's bring it home. Where, where's home for you? <laughs> I'm really curious. There there's something that you do called three one three, and I'm wondering this show. A lot of entrepreneurs are listening to this show. This is the Eureka audience. Eureka Fest. Yeah, yeah. I mean, the, these are people Eureka that, Fest. Go get your tickets now. Yes, do that. That's that's where I got my Ginger MC uh, label, and for this will be my sixth year MCing this thing. It's awesome. Since the beginning. Yes, since the very beginning. How fun is that? That's is. the beauty of, of, of when when you're when you're able to ride things as they grow from the beginning, you get to see them mature over time. So you want to bring it home. Let's bring it Let's back. Let's bring it home yes. with 313. Yeah. Um, if, if Is that something you're comfortable walking us through? I speak about this all the time. Super excited about <laughs> it. And the origins of it, actually, the Eureka moment was at UCI when I had a chance to meet with all these student entrepreneurs. Mm -hmm. And we only had a certain amount of time, but we had such a crazy demand. So it was meeting after meeting after meeting. So I, I like, okay, come sit down, tell me about your idea. And as a disclaimer, it was a very Socratic method. So if somebody says, is my idea good? I would say, I don't know. How would we find that out? And it's a very active learning approach. Mm. So there was never me or anyone saying good or bad. It's helping students to figure out on their own because we're teaching them entrepreneurship. So I'd say, all right, tell me about your idea. And they would go, oh, okay, so this happening. Here's one. And they would just go, 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 go on, 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 on for like five or seven minutes sometimes. Mm. Like mm -hmm. super excited. It's like their idea. Right. And I'd be like, people lined up out the door. Okay. Um, can you tell me in, in, the shortest amount of words possible. And they would go, <gasps> like, no stop. And it just stopped. And so I had to experiment to try to get the amount of time down so that we could actually have a conversation after I got an idea. And so I said, how about you just tell me the problem that you solve? And can you do that just in one sentence? And they go, huh? Okay, let's start there. Any good business solves a problem. What's the problem that you're solving? Then I would say, okay, well, 
what is your solution? But do, can you just say it in a sentence? Because now I know the problem. I can connect the dots. And then they would explain it. I say, okay, who's your market? But don't say the A word or the E word. Anyone or everyone. And they go, well, anybody, burnt. Tell me your market, but without saying anyone or anyone. And then we'd have a conversation about the market. So that in itself was their business in three sentences. And then once I was equipped with those three sentences, I could repeat back to them their problem, solution, and market in one sentence. And then I would formulate an analogy or a metaphor and say, so you're kind of like... You're, you're kind of like a wedding planner for podcasts. And they'd be like, oh my gosh, yes, that's it. And so it became a process that I started to go through and repeat. Hey, nice to meet you. Uh, before you tell me your idea, what's the problem you solve? Tell me one sentence. And we go there. What's your solution in one sentence? We go there. What's your market in one sentence? And all those lessons that are embedded into it. Great. So your business is, you do this for these people who have this problem. Yeah. Okay. So you're kind of like, you're kind of like a... Let's see, you're like a vending machine for skateboards. <gasps> oh, yeah, okay. And then it got to a point where people, the students started saying, has Ryan 313 to you? They're like, oh, yeah, that's, that's, that's kind of what I'm doing. So it became this people challenging themselves to get through the 313. And I actually have, uh, this is something I speak about all around the world. I actually have a podcast called the 313 Challenge where I take very proficient business people and I just ask them, the simple questions, can you explain the problem that you solve in one sentence without telling me what you do? And 9.9 .9 out of 10 can't even do that. Because when I ask them the problem that they solve, they still tell me what they do. But the, the formed, the, the basis, the foundation of the three and three is the fact that nobody cares what you do. And we're led to believe that people care, but they really don't. Because if I meet you and I say, hey, what is it that you do? Secretly, I'm hoping that he says this quickly so that he will ask me what I do so that I can tell him what I do. And then you tell me what you do. And afterwards, you're like, oh, God, now I have to ask him what he does because I told him what I did and he wants me to ask him. So I'm going to go ahead and ask him, what do you do? And we both really don't care what we do. And that plays out all over the place. So the challenge that I put to people, if they can work through the 313, is that if somebody asks you what you do, tell them it's not really what you do that's important. It's the problem that I solve. And they will ask you what the problem is. Then you can tell them the problem. Not your solution, just the problem. Then you can say, I don't know, do you think that's a problem? They say yes or no. If they say no, <laughs> you're stuck there and you have to figure out why what you said doesn't seem like a problem. If they say yes, you say, oh, is that a problem that you have? If they say no, you go, that's cool. Do you have any friends that have that problem? If they say yes, you go, is this anything that you need help with anytime soon? If they say yes, I can help you out. You can get people interested in what you do without telling them what you do. If you focus on the problem that you solve. And so many people have a hard time articulating the problem that they solve. Because they want to name multiple problems. Or they say it in a way that isn't, doesn't really feel like a problem. So the 313 at the end of the day is a way to say less and get the person you're talking to to talk more. And there's studies that show a positive correlation between the amount of time people talk and how well they feel about this conversation. So I'm gonna feel great about this podcast. I'm gonna be like, Lee, I'm like, Christopher was amazing. Mm. But that's because I've been talking the whole time. So I, I noticed, <laughs> I'm noticing a trend here. 
Yes. Noticing a trend. We started out with pain is this pathway to connection. Yeah. Yeah. Our, our off topic. People want to see their story in you. Yes. And you're leading with your problems that you've gone through. Yes. And yes. now you're saying we should do that, but in a simpler way, but as a business, so your business is authentic. Mm-hmm. So you can have a real conversation about it, not BS. Yes. And if you, and if you do, if your pitch is BS right. and you sell somebody on your BS and, and that pitch is that you have an amazing product and a bulletproof everything, people are going to be like, great, how can I help you? Like, why, why do you need my help? Right. Sometimes we, we portray that highlight REEL of our business and it leaves no opportunity to let people know when they can actually help you out. And it's when you become vulnerable uh, and your business the problem that you're solving makes people care about what you do because nobody cares what you do, but they do care about the problem that you solve, especially if they have it or if they know somebody that does. So the 313 is a a process to go through, which challenges not necessarily the information you're sharing, but challenges the order in which you share the information. You're listening to the Eureka Moments Only podcast Ryan Folland on the show today, author, speaker, Ginger. Yes. This is a three-act show. Okay. We've talked about the pain. We've talked about a way to handle it. I want to ask you what your experience has been like with Eureka Fest over these past these past years. Oh, it's been great. First of all, it's been great to see it grow. And big shout out to your lovely lady, Mrs. Taylor, who is the rock behind it all. And the initial concept uh, has also if you look at sort of the trajectory of Orange County as a hub for entrepreneurship, uh, it's been a scattered ecosystem, but Eureka is like the hub that has been there, that is is here. Uh, The venue's amazing. You bring in everything from panels to keynotes to an epic business pitch competition. You've got the the Ergo Excel, where Peter brings people from uh, from Greece over. And it's just a really great way to, to catalyze those people who are looking for support and finding other people to suffer through the stages of entrepreneurship. But it's high energy. It's a full day. It's only one day, which is nice. It's not two days. Um, there's also booze. So get people get riled up. Um, there's a facility in the back that is like green nature, grass, amazing. Uh, it's, it's really a great chance if you're a startup to get some visibility. Uh, if you're an investor to put your eyes on projects. And if you're just an entrepreneur at large, I've I've personally known of a lot of people who have connected and can trace that back to the Eureka Fest. And what's the role that you play? So initially it was, uh, Ryan, we just need your help to MC or help things going on. Kind of uh, like startup mode, right? Yeah. Figuring things out. Just, uh, <laughs> I, know, I know this guy from a million cups. He's always loud. He's, he's, he's usually a bit spontaneous and he, he, juggles a line between annoying and funny. And that's like right where I want to be. <laughs> and uh, and I believe that I, I debuted uh, some rapping skills as well. And I became the ginger MC. And and in all my keynotes, I actually wrap it up by rapping, which is a, a little bit of a fun spin. This guy, I had one of one of the best compliments of the last keynote. The lady came up, she said, your rapping is so bad, it's good. <laughs> and a lot of that traces back to uh, debuting it here at the Eureka Fest. But I think that um, my role has solidified, especially around the business pitch competition. It can be stressful. And so it's about making it fun. And if you're in the audience, 
to watch 10 businesses pitch, like sometimes it just puts you to sleep. So there's lots of clapping technologies that I involve. There's wrapping technologies. It's a very interactive. And usually when there's any spare time, I'll just call someone up randomly to give a pitch themselves. And so it's a high energy, fun way. And, and I get to play my part, the ginger MC, hashtag Eureka Fest. Clapping and rapping and and bringing it home. Yeah, Do new new clapping technologies. New clapping technologies. Like each year, I try to bring something different. I think there was like the shark claws, which is to clap as though you're trying to get a great white off your back. Walk us through the historical clapping technology. Okay, so I don't know if it's going to be in the right order, but one of the first was was the concept of a clap conductor, and so I said, "I am your clap conductor," and I said, "My hands channel your hands." And I basically started to play with the audience like this. Okay, up, louder, not softer. And then my favorite part is once I get them trained on that, I go, and then, you know, people start clapping. Nope. And then it gets, so there's the clap conducting. Uh, I believe that the thunderclap made a debut in year two, which is not clapping loud, but clapping together at once. Mm. And it's great because there's always a few people that are off. And so it gets people to pay attention and it's high energy. And then the double thunderclap and then the almighty Triple thunderclap. So that's good. Then the shark claws was something I came up with. I have a Jaws jacket. And I basically signaled people for a shark claws like this. And it's the noise you make to, to, to scare off a shark so you don't die. And so that creates a little bit more clapping energy. Then uh, the rap clap is also in there. There is the, um, the golf clap, some of the more traditional ones. And yeah, each year I come back with some new technology. Sometimes I make it up right on the spot. So there's going to be some new stuff this year. I'm not sure yet what it will be. I'm excited to see what you come up with. And Oh, how about the Eureka clap? What's the Eureka clap? <laughs> with your feet. Yeah, a foot clap. Awesome. I was at a sailing conference speaking and I came might up... might get dangerous though. I came up with a sail clap. Okay. You know what a sail clap is? What's that? It's like you're dead irons and your sails go like this. So I had hundreds <laughs> of people doing this. It was great. <laughs> if you haven't gotten your tickets, check them out. It's a, it's a good time. Yes, EurekaFest.com, E-U-R-E-K-A, Fest, F-E-S-T, dot com. I think there's some promos running right now. Please grab your ticket. And if you have any questions, um, click on that contact button. We'll take a look and, and answer them. Ryan, is there any closing thoughts or wraps that you have? Yeah. So do you want the three rules for the 313 or do you want um, something on the Ditch the Act? What are you feeling? Can you give us both? <laughs> <laughs> uh, maybe. Uh, I think. I think because we talked about the three one three more recently, right. we can we can sum this up into three simple rules. I can teach you how to pitch. You could get funding. Could get rich. All you gotta do is follow three rules, like they're treasure clues. First rule is I don't care what you do. You see, I've got problems and so do you. You won't get me interested explaining minor pain. You gotta solve the problem in a finger chop way. Rule number two, you talk too much like a giddy little kid on a yellow school bus. Start with the what, not with the how. Make it conversational and learn to shut your mouth. Rule number three, create intrigue. Talk about your target market to the nth degree. Tap into the FOMO of the person who is listening. Say anyone or everyone on you will be less interesting. The goal of your pitch is for them to want more. Don't miss opportunity knocking at the door. Calculator stand, water booties, or a bookmark. It doesn't matter your idea. Now you know where to start. First you state the problem. Then you say you solve it and don't, 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 don't forget the market. Woo! <laughs> Thank you. Yeah, that's good. 
All right, you've made it to the end of the show. Eureka Moments only. Thank you for tuning in. See you next week. Ha, <laughs> ha,